0: scripture comes from Philippians 3 verses 7 through 11. But everything that was a gain to me I have considered to be a loss because of Christ. More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Because of him I had suffered. I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them as dung, so that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ the righteousness from God based on faith. My goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. Lord, you are so good. I thank you for this opportunity to pause in our weeks, Lord, and just rest and worship you. I pray that you will be with Daniel today, Lord, as he speaks to us and that our hearts would be open to hear what you have to say. I pray these things in your name. Amen.
1: Okay, so we haven't met yet. My name is Daniel, and I am one of the pastors here at Aletheia Church. This morning, we are going to begin with a little exercise. If you would do me a favor, and you would look in that pocket, which should be in right there in the seat back in front of you, and you should find a label that looks just like this but yet it doesn't have any writing on it whatsoever you should also find a pin in that pocket as well and what I would like you to do is copy my example up here and about a quarter of the way down on that label with that pin I want you to draw a line all the way across alright this is a simple lesson today to see how well you can follow instructions okay now I don't want you to write anything above that line, but I do want you to write below that line. And over the next two minutes, yes, you have two whole minutes, it's going to seem like a really long Jeopardy time, all right? Here's what I want you to do. I want you to write down as many words as you can that describe you, all right? As many words as you can that describe you, ready, set, go. couple of you started to look up, meaning you're striving for some answers, looking for some help. You could write down your gender. You can write down whether you're an undergrad or a grad student. You could write down some of your likes, or maybe you're a maybe you consider yourself a gamer or a chef, a musician, an artist, or an athlete. You could write down your political party. You could write down your job. You could write down your personality type from, I know, the f- at least 14 personality tests you've all taken. Anything you can think of, anything that would describe you and the core of who you are, I want you to write it down. Never noticed the creak in the stage before. (laughs) All right. So I think you've got enough. Hopefully you've got at least eight to ten things down that describe you and who you are. Now what I need you to do is, with that same pen and that same label, I need you to put them back in that pocket in the seat in front of you. All right. If you have been with us for any length of time, you know that typically here at Aletheia Church, we just go straight through books of the Bible. And over the last couple of weeks, Kevin has done a wonderful job taking us through the first two chapters of Ephesians. And I had been assigned Ephesians chapter 3. But as I wrestled with this text over the last two weeks, and as I wrestled with things that God was doing in my heart and in the life of, of my community group, I, I called Kevin about three days ago and I asked him for some special dispensation to go off-topic a little bit and not do the prescribed plan of Ephesians 3, 1-13. And he so graciously granted me permission to do so. So if this goes bad or wrong, you can blame him for letting me go off-script, okay? Today... We are going to begin our message looking at a list that Paul had created for himself. As we've been in the book of Ephesians, many of us know that it's the Apostle Paul who wrote this letter. In fact, Paul wrote 13 letters to the church that we have contained in our canon of Scripture. And in Philippians chapter 3, verses 5 through 6, similar to the list that you made today, Paul wrote down a list that, he at, one, that at one time gave him incredible, incredible confidence in his life. And he said, I have been circumcised on the eighth day. I am of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as the law of Pharisee, as to zeal a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. What Paul is saying that he took from that list and the confidence that it gave him in his flesh is that he was circumcised on the eighth day, meaning that he was a child of Abraham. And for him, that gave him incredible significance and security. When he says that he is of the people of Israel, he is recognizing that he is from a great nation, The nation to whom, the people to whom God has given the covenants and the promises through whom the Messiah would come. When he says that he is the tribe of Benjamin, he is stating that he comes from a great family. He has a great ancestry of which he is very proud. He said that he was a Hebrew of Hebrews, meaning that. He believed he was the cream of the crop. He was the top of his class. That there were very few people that he knew who could compare themselves to him. Because when it came to his status in society, he was par excellence. But when it came to his fervor for God and how religious he was there was no one like him, because as to the law, Paul said he was a Pharisee, meaning that he kept not only the 613 commandments that God had prescribed in the Old Testament, but yet all of the extra commandments that the Pharisees had built as a fence around the law to make sure no one ever broke that law, he kept those as well. As to zeal, as to passion, as to fervor for the things of God, he showed his commitment that after the Messiah died and rose again and his followers proclaimed that message, he became a persecutor of the church to make sure those liars didn't continue to get their story out. That's how committed he was to God. And when it came to righteousness under the law, he declares that he was absolutely Blameless. You could not find fault in his religion in any way, shape, or form. Now, the question is how does that guy from verses 5 and 6 become this guy in 7 through 11 that Danielle read for us this morning? But whatever gain I had, whatever confidence I had in the flesh, he says. the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and may share His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. And the answer to how Paul went from the man that we see in Philippians 3, 5, and 6 to the man he became in Philippians 3, 7-11. The answer is found in the fact that Paul allowed his identity to be formed in Christ. If you ever want to know the secret and the key to Paul's life, it's in those two words. In Christ. If you ask scholars, biblical scholars, what was the Apostle Paul all about? they will agree and they will tell you these two words in Christ. And how is it that scholars can actually come to agree these two words It's what Paul's life is all about? Because in his 13 letters, he writes these two words over 150 times. Sometimes he uses the variation in him, Sometimes he uses the variation in the beloved, in Christ Jesus, in Jesus Christ, in Jesus. But this phrase, in Christ, is what Paul stressed to himself and to the churches more than anything else in all of his writings. And, and, and I don't know about you, but you know I am, I'm a parent, and I have children. And one of the things that gets really old for me and for them is repeating myself over and 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 over again. That's as long as my breath would go. But you've been there, right? You've told your parents, Mom, you've said that a thousand times. Come on, Dad, I've heard this story a thousand times. Well, why do they keep telling you? Because apparently we're pretty prone to forget. So we have to ask ourselves that the guy who's responsible for most of the New Testament, why did he find it necessary over 150 times to write down these two words to the churches that he was ministering to? I don't know if you've paid attention at all, but in our study of Ephesians so far, in the first two chapters that Kevin has covered, he's already said in Christ, in him, or some variation of it, 14 times. 14 times he has already told the church in Ephesus, and he has reminded them of their identity in Christ. And I want to tell you this is, is the key to unlocking peace and joy and happiness in the Christian life. So in case you haven't been with us, in case you haven't been paying attention, or in case you have forgotten altogether, I want to remind you, for those of you in here who are followers of Jesus and are in Christ, I want to remind you of your identity in Christ before we move into the heart of the message today. In Ephesians chapter one, in the second half of verse one, Paul says, to the saints who are in Ephesus, to the saints who are in Gainesville, Florida, and are faithful in Christ Jesus. In verse three, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ, With every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Church, right now if you are in Christ, you already have every spiritual blessing that exists in the heavenly places. Because you are in Christ, you have been chosen in Him before the foundation of the world. Before you were ever knit together in your mother's womb. The Lord your God had chosen you to be His own. Why? To what purpose? To what end? Look at what Paul tells us. That we should be holy and blameless before Him. Just just try to let that seek in for a moment. For all the things you may have said or done or thought in the last week or at any part in the past of your life, That right now, if you are in Christ, the Lord God, as He looks down upon you from heaven, sees you as completely holy and blameless because you are in Christ. In love, He predestined us for adoption as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ. Verse 7, in Him we have redemption through His blood. In Him we have redemption through His blood. If you are in Christ, Jesus Christ has personally paid the debt of your sin. He bought you. He paid the price with His own blood so that you could be united in Him. So that you could be in Him. In Him you have the forgiveness of your trespasses according to the riches of of His grace. Every sin that you ever have committed are committing right now by looking on your phone at your fantasy football scores and will commit later when you scream and yell at the TV because the fantasy game doesn't go the way you want to or school doesn't go the way you want this week. They have all been forgiven and forgotten. The Bible says they are thrown as far as the East is from the West. And all this is according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us." And, and, and as, as I tried to come up with something, an illustration that would help us grasp this lavishing of God upon us, the best thing as a good southern man I could think of was biscuits and gravy. Do you know how you know if biscuits and gravy is good? When you can't see the biscuit, <laughs> right? When there's so much gravy on the plate that you can't see the biscuit. And and that's the picture here. This grace is so lavished upon the biscuits that it is just running and it's overflowing and it's spilling out all over the place that it can't be contained. This is the grace that God has lavished upon us. He's made known to us the mystery of His will. He did this as a plan for the fullness of time. You are a part of God's eternal plan to unite all things in Christ, things in heaven and things on earth. Church, in him we have obtained an inheritance because we have been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. That right now, if you are in Christ, Christ dwells in you. The Holy Spirit, God has taken up residence in your being. All because you are in Christ. That's why Paul goes on to pray in verse 18 of chapter 1 that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places." Paul wanted the church to know that the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead lives and moves and breathes in them because Christ dwells in them. The same resurrection power that raised Christ is in you. And he goes on to remind them in chapter 2, you were dead in the trespasses and sins. You once walked this way, you followed the course of this world, you followed the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of the flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and mind, and were by nature children of wrath, because we were in Adam, not in Christ. We were like the rest of mankind, but God, not you, not anyone else, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. It is by this lavish grace you have been saved, and you've been raised up with him and seated He has seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Do you see what Paul is saying? All this has already been given to us. All of this is at our disposal. How crazy is it going to be that the day that we step into eternity where we are in Christ's presence forever, we are going to fully realize that and He is going to continue to bless us and pour out His grace more and more lavishly upon us for all eternity. It was by grasping God This concept of being in Christ, that Paul could forsake his confidence in his flesh, in his status and anything he could he had ever accomplished because he no longer had to work for approval from God, because now he could live from approval, knowing that he is approved. He has been validated because of everything that Christ Jesus has done and church I want to say to you it is our lack of recognizing this fact that we are in Christ that we have this this union with Christ that is of an incredible detriment to us and how we live out this life before God and the rest of the world I'm going to briefly make a plug for this book called Union with Christ. If you've ever heard of a guy named Tim Keller, you should. And if you don't know him, go read everything he's ever written. It's all super awesome. Tim Keller says this book right here is the best book ever written on the subject for lay people. It's one of the top ten books every believer should have in their library called Union with Christ by a guy named Rankin Wilborn. All right, get the name right because there's at least ten titles with this. My community group is currently going through this book. If what I say today and in this inspires you to want to be in our group, we meet at Wednesday night and 6.30 about two minutes from here. Now, if you're in a group, I'm not going to let you in because we don't want no group hoppers, okay? I'm not going to send you out of here one day into the world thinking you can hop churches. That's not how it works, okay? No group hoppers. But if you don't have a group yet, Wednesday night, 6.30, We feed you really, really good. This week, we're doing breakfast for dinner, okay? That's how good it's going to be. So if you want pancakes and waffles and bacon and sausage for dinner on Wednesday night, my house is the place to come, all right? We're going to walk through this book, Union with Christ. Two things I want to quote to you out of this. Union with Christ is the greatest, most honorable, and glorious of all graces that we are made partakers of. Union with Christ is the missing link that connects the grace Christ offers with our experience of God's love. If you are not experiencing God's love to the depth that you wish, it can only be found in understanding and embracing your union with Christ. Union with Christ touches on the highest and most profound truths of the gospel and at the same time reaches down into the depths of the human heart To fill us with more joy and hope, more comfort and strength than anything else ever could. Is there any truth we more need to lay hold of today than our union with Christ? I don't believe that there is. I believe that the greatest detriment, the greatest hindrance to happiness, joy, hope, comfort and strength is And strength is not living out and embracing our true identity in Christ. Not having our identities formed by the reality of these two words. In Christ. If you want to be set free for the rest of your life. To live the life that God intended for you. Then you must begin to live from an identity that is in Christ rather than the one that culture is trying to force upon you. Now for the next few minutes, we are going to take a detour. We've been going straight down this road of in Christ. For the next few minutes, we're going to take a detour, and then we're going to connect back to this road of being in Christ. But there's something that each of us has to understand when it comes to the idea of the formation of our identities. You need to understand that every culture that has ever existed since people have been on the earth has tried to impose a cultural identity upon its citizens, has tried to impose an identity upon every human being. Because it wants to help human beings form their identity. And it does so with what I have put up on the screen as this mathematical equation for you math people and engineers in the room. The formation of our identity comes from our sense of self plus our sense of worth. If you take who you are in your core, and uh, add a sense of worth to it, these things will form your identity in this life. And just let me show you how simply this works from Paul's list in Ephesians chapter 3. Paul's culture, the Jewish culture, gave Paul a sense of self. It also told Paul the standard to which by he should live. That which was expected of him. This is how Paul had his identity formed before Jesus. Because he had incredible status because he was circumcised on the eighth day. He had incredible sense of self because he was of the people of Israel. He had an incredible sense of self because he was from the tribe of Benjamin. He had an incredible sense of worth because he was a Hebrew of Hebrews. An incredible sense of worth because he obeyed the law like a Pharisee. An incredible sense of worth because he worked harder and outdid everyone else when it came to zeal and passion. And he had an incredible sense of worth because when it came to righteousness under the law he could declare that he was totally blameless. And where did he get this from? He, he didn't just get this on his own, but this is what his culture pushed upon him. This is what his culture told him. This is how you gain worth in God's eyes. This is how you get a proper sense of self in our culture. Every culture that exists pushes identity formation upon its citizens about this subject of of cultural identity Tim Keller says it's like this he said it's like you diving into the ocean wanting to talk to a fish about water and the fish would say what's water Because the fish is surrounded by water all the time, because it has the pressure of water upon it all the time, it it doesn't even know that it lives in water. It just knows that it lives inside of this existence. It doesn't even pay attention to the water that's around it, but yet it's around it all the time, putting pressure on it, holding it in place, keeping it where it is supposed to be. But the question for us, 2,000 years removed from Paul's culture, is what type of identity is our culture trying to impose upon us today? And let me say to you, it is is agreed not just by Bible people alone, not not just by Jesus-loving Bible thumpers, but people in Christianity agree. People in the sciences agree. People who are in the humanities agree. Our culture is attempting something that has never been attempted in the history of the world. What our culture today is is attempting to do is to go to the opposite side of the spectrum, to swing the pendulum all the other way to see how our identity works separated from having a culture imposed upon us by the crowd or by the bigger group at large. See, Paul's culture was forced upon him by his family, by his nation, and by his church. But yet, the message today for us is four key words. It is authenticity. It is autonomy. It is individuality. And it is freedom. The words that we keep hearing over and over in culture, be your authentic self. Be an individual. Don't let it be free and don't let anyone tell you what to do. Be totally autonomous. Don't give any concern to what anyone else says about you because you are an individual. See, all past societies have lived with the greater good in mind for the society at large rather than the individual. Individuals were given a sense of self and a sense of worth by sacrificing for the nation. When men went to war, they did it for the nation, believing it was um, keeping some great idea alive or keeping the people alive. I didn't realize this that uh, until the other day when I was studying it, that women were actually who gave birth were actually applauded because giving birth was such a, a, a dangerous experience that women were seen as heroes in their society because they would sacrifice their own bodies to continue the line and to continue the race. And this has been, this has been the ideal cultural identity throughout human history, except for the last 40 years. The humanities can draw a line at in about 40 years, This we reach the tipping point to where this is no longer how culture is trying to impose its identity upon its citizens. And you need to understand that when we are told to, to live for ourselves, when we are told to be autonomous, to be authentic, to be individual, and, and to live as if no one else has any influence on what we say, It is a very dangerous way to live. Why? Because it means that only we, as individual human beings, can discover, define, determine, and discern who we are. That at the end of the day, you are the only one who can discover who you are, who can define who you are, who can determine who you are and discern who you are. What I'm about to say next, please hear my heart in this. I am not trying to make a highly charged statement. But with what I'm about to say, I don't feel that there's any other way that it might be received than a highly charged statement. So just listen to me. Because of this push for individuality, of autonomy, and freedom. Because it is left up to the individual to discover, define, determine, and discern who they are, it should be no wonder to us that the topic of gender identity is such a major issue in people's lives. And I want you to hear me stress people's lives. I am not talking about this as some kind of Bible, bumping, Bible thumping, holy rolling, ha- hating people. Do not hear that in what I'm about to say. But I stress people's lives because when I, as a human being, as a follower of Jesus, see other people struggle with their identity, those who are made in the image of God, it touches a place in my heart because I understand what it is to struggle with not having my identity in Christ. Though though I've never struggled with gender identity, I do struggle with having my identity in Christ and I know how stressful it can be. But my heart goes out to anyone who is struggling with gender dysphoria. This is something that people recognize as a real and legitimate thing. But what does it mean to have gender dysphoria? It means that someone can't figure out who they are. That what they are doing, they are spending their entire life born a certain way and they're they're told that how they were born is not how they are rather than embracing what God would say that he created them male and female they are being told they are being told in society it is up to them to discover define determine and discern their own gender and when this is done it proves to be a weight that is too great to bear And if you allow people to determine, to discern, to discover, and define who they are, what will happen in their lives is that their lives will become incoherent, fragile, and incredibly crushing. Because defining, determining, discovering who we are apart from God and apart from who we are in Christ was something that humanity was never intended to do. And we are currently seeing people bear the brunt of this cultural identity that is being forced upon them. And our hearts should go out to anyone who is struggling, who does not have their identity in Christ. This is not just toward anyone who struggles with this issue. Because this is an issue that we all face when we struggle with our identity in Christ. None of us is immune to culture's current attempt to form identity in us by preaching to us the message of autonomy, individuality, authenticity, and freedom. See, but it's not just preached at the highest levels. This is not just something outside, away from us. Did you guys understand? This is, at, this is in cartoons, This is in kids' movies, and it is being pushed upon us in every way, shape, or form. How many of you have seen the movie Frozen? Everybody? Yes. Do you know how many millions of times I've had to sing that song, Let It Go, with my little girls? There was a period for about a year that my two girls would not go to sleep unless I played that song. And not just played it, had to sit in the bedroom with them and sing it with them before bed every single night. But I just, I just want you to think, because l- let me say, there is the cultural message in that movie, but also the result. Now just think about it. When Elsa decides to go free, when she embraces Her individuality, her autonomy, her authenticity, and her freedom. She leaves everything else behind. So she she adheres to this message. But what does she do? She runs away and creates a prison of her own desire. Destroying everyone and everything around her. There is no more greater parallel in the cultural message of formation of identity than the movie Frozen. But the messages are there all the time. This is the cultural narrative that is being preached to us and taught to us all the time. Individuality, freedom, autonomy, authenticity. So how do we merge all of these pieces together that I've talked about so far? How do we merge what we've talked about and seen in Paul's life? How do we merge this phrase in Christ? How do we merge the fact that our identity is formed by a sense of self and a sense of worth and that whatever culture we live in, that all cultures try to form the identity of its citizens? How do we pull that together? we begin by you pulling out those labels that you've already filled out for me this morning. So if you would do me a favor and reach into that pocket and you would pull that back out. Here is what I know right now. It comes... In waves, it comes with greater degrees of pressure and weight. But every person in this room, I think specifically you who are undergrads, but even grad students as well, even professionals, you are feeling the weight and pressure to discover, define, determine, and discern who you are as an individual. You're trying to figure it out in your career. You're trying to figure it out in your lifestyle choices and the things that you like to do for fun, entertainment. You're trying to figure it out in getting married and having kids. You will try to figure this out for the rest of your life. But might I suggest that the reason you are feeling this way, that sometimes it feels like an overbearing weight upon your soul to get it figured out before you graduate from college, is because you're more influenced by the culture's formation of identity than you are by your identity in Christ that you're deriving more of your sense of self and your sense of worth from what society says to you makes you valuable than what actually makes you valuable in God's eyes by being in Christ. And the reason this message has been on my heart so much is because, let, let me say to you who are half my age in this room, I have to remind myself, because that's just a stark reality that I live with, uh, being up here and being here, living in Gainesville, Florida, <laughs> and it feels really weird to be twice as old as some of you, and that biologically, many of you could be my children. That's just a weird thing to, to consider in, in age. But, but I, I want you to hear this. This struggle will not go away. You think just because you graduate, you're now going to have it figured out. Let me tell you, it will only get worse as you get older. Because right now you are single, many of you are. Many of you are individual, and you're only worried about you. But when you start adding a spouse into the mix, who's struggling with these same issues just as much as you, it makes for something that we like to call dynamite, okay? It, it can make for explosions. And then when you have my house, and you have me and my wife, and you have four other little human beings who are trying to do this and trying to live as individuals and free and authentic and autonomous, guess what happens? Chaos reigns. Sometimes there are explosive words and arguments that happen when children try to exercise their autonomy in trying to discover, determine who they are as human beings. We have to begin to look to Christ to get our sense of self and our sense of worth. But see, it's it's so far from us that it's not even usually in our minds. And we don't realize how great it affects us. Because And I don't want a show of hands. But how many people in this room would actually be able to say that the number one theme of Paul's letters being in Christ actually made it anywhere on their label? What the Bible says is the most defining thing about you, the most important thing about you. For how many of us did it even make it on the words that we use to describe ourselves the thing that is most true about us from god how many of us did it even make it on our label the my bet is just like mine i put way more cultural identity markers on my label than i did the other thing Let that be a warning to us, to show us how engrossed we are in our cultural identity rather than our identity in Christ. And let me tell you, this makes all the difference in the world in how you move through life. Not only do... So our identities are formed through our sense of self and sense of worth. But it is through our identities that we move and live and breathe in life. And let me give you a very easy example. Last night, my wife and I hosted the Gator Beatdown of UT. And that's exactly what it was, right? Not even an amen, yay, woo-hoo, nothing, right? But last night, I had about 60 people in my home who claimed as their identity Florida Gators. And because of that identity as Florida Gators, guess what happened every time your team scored? It caused movement, right? It caused movements in your seat. It caused movements in your voice. It caused movements in your hands going up. What you identify with drives the movement in your life. This is why it is so important for us to have our identity in Christ. Because what is going to happen on that day when you fail miserably? What is going to happen on that day when your sense of self and your sense of worth is tied up in your spouse? When it's tied up in your marriage and it all falls apart? Or your spouse tells you that you aren't near as good a spouse as you keep espousing to everyone else out there? What are you going to do on that day when your sense of self and your sense of worth is found in that job and in that career and your boss walks in and says, you're fired? What are you going to do on that day that your boyfriend or girlfriend and says, you're not the one? but yet you've wrapped up your worth and your value in that. What are you going to do when your child says to you, and praise God, my children never said this to me yet, I hate you, right? See, the, the issue is, tied to our sense of worth is, where is it that we're finding our validation? Who is your ultimate validator? And let me tell you, let me say this to you. If you do not begin to get a handle on this and a grip on this, you will ruin your children. This this is not just your life at stake. Having been a parent long enough, I'm sure you've heard the phrase, parents who live through their children. Yes? And maybe you had a parent who lived through you. Like they thought you were going to be the athlete, and they made you go do all, they made you go to all the events and do all the sports, and they were most passionate. And they would spend all the money because they were vicariously living through you. If you want to know why your parent did that to you, it's because they were looking to you as their validation. And let me say that is a, an incredibly crushing weight for a child to bear the weight to, to validate their parents' existence. This is This flows through every single area of our lives. And you can just look at how you move and how you respond to things, where your identity is. Is it it because your sense of self and your sense of worth is coming from what culture says is valuable and validates you? Or is it coming from God Knowing that he has already declared you valuable. That when you lose that job, you don't lose all hope because you know it was just a job. Though you loved it and though you were great at it, your greatest source of identity was in Jesus. You know that Matthew 6.33 says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything else will be added unto you. You know because your identity is found in Christ that Christ is now responsible for finding you a job. And if he doesn't, he's responsible for providing for you because you have put his kingdom first. So you don't feel this crushing weight under all this because you know that you are valued because God is your validator, that you are living holy and righteous before him, striving to, to make his name known and glorify him, that he is responsible for you, that he values you. That even on on your worst day, when, when, when you know that when guys on that day, when it smacks you in the face, just how crazy it is that God says to you, love your wife as Christ loved the church. And you realize how awful you are at that. And you have to go, I suck. I mean, just plain and simple. There are days that, I just suck at being a husband. I suck at being a dad because I get my identity so wrapped up in myself. There are days you suck at being a student, and your test scores reflect that, right? But how much does it affect you? The degree to which it affects you, I can promise you, is the degree to which you're finding validation, even for yourself or because you feel pressure from some parent to have a certain amount of test scores to validate your existence by having A's and B's so they can go and tell their friends how smart their kid is and how hard their kid works. This affects every area of our lives. We have to learn to embrace our true identity in Christ. And when you do, you'll realize the promise that Jesus makes in 11, Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 and 29. This verse has always bothered me. And it still bothers me. Jesus says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Take my identity upon you. And learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. And the reason it's made me crazy is, honestly, I don't feel like I have the rest that Jesus promised. And so often I've said, where is this? Why am I struggling internally? Why is this such a massive issue in my life? Why do I feel so defeated? And this week, I found an answer that I've been searching for for the last 20 years. Because so often I have looked for my validation. I have have worked to find my validation in my sense of self, in my sense of worth based on a cultural identity rather than taking Christ's identity upon me. Because when Christ's identity rests upon me, when I live and allow that to form my identity, I no longer work for approval. I get to work from approval. Because I have been approved by God, the one who chose me, the one who redeemed me, the one who forgave me, the one who has given me his Holy Spirit to guarantee my inheritance, the one whose spirit now dwells in me. And let me say to you, that is all the validation you and I or anyone else will ever need. At this point, I'm going to ask the band to come back up. And if you're not familiar with, with my preaching style, typically I, um, I like to, to move us into a time of response. I, I don't want you to leave here not having given you a chance to respond to what you've heard today. Because this is one of those things, very, not often can I say, I know this sermon spoke to everyone in the room, and if it didn't, it means you're dead, all right? Or you're not listening, or you're not paying attention, all right? Because this is, this is the human struggle, finding our sense of self and sense of worth in our identity in Christ, not in culture. And so what, what I want you to do, and I want to ask you to do is, and Derek, we turn down those, those lights um, we're going to have um, men and women in the back and men and women up front to give you an opportunity because I believe it is important for us to, to, to respond to what God is doing in our heart, in our life, in these moments. And so, if you are a follower of Jesus, what I would like you to do is to take out that label And take that pen, and I want you to write with confidence above that line that you are in Christ. Though those other things are a part of your identity as a student, as a parent, as a musician, as a child, as a firstborn, as an ENTJ-INTP, whatever it is, those, those things are a part of you. They are not what most define you. They are to be subservient to this greater identity of being in Christ. Now, if you can't write that on that label because you don't know if you are in Christ, or you know you're not in Christ, then I'm going to ask you not to write it there. But I do want to remind you that the Bible declares God puts all people in two groups. You're either in in Adam and his judgment remains upon you or you're in Christ who took your judgment, who took your punishment, who took your sin. Those are the only two options with God. The Bible says we are either in Adam or in Christ. If you want to talk about what it means to be in Christ, you can do it with anyone standing in the back or with anyone in the front. But if you are in Christ, what I want you to do is, I want you to acknowledge something on your label. At least one thing to where you have been deriving your your identity, you've been deriving your sense of self, you've been deriving your sense of worth from. And I want you to come and I want you to tell somebody up here. Because we want to pray over you. We want to pray that we would recognize who you are. And for you who are are praying, I want to invite you to pray in such a way that proclaims to each person their true identity in Christ in light of the struggle to where they are seeking validation in this life. So Leah, if you'd come on up, and Derek and Caitlin, if you would come on up. We're just going to give you some time. And as soon as you would like prayer, about something, either in the back or in the front, just get up from your seat and respond so that we can pray over you.